Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Good morning, Fairview. It's good to be with you again this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4. As we've seen in recent weeks, uh, Jesus was a master storyteller. We've been going through a series, working through many of the stories that Jesus told as part of his teaching ministry, and we've already covered some of the well-known stories. So, you know, we've, we've looked at the Good Samaritan. Uh, last week, we looked at the prodigal son or the, the father and two lost sons. Uh, the, we've looked at the wise and foolish builders. And what's interesting is most of the parables are in the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And different gospel authors pick different parables to include in their gospel based on the the sort of the portrait of Jesus that they're painting, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so um, it's interesting to look at which gospel writer includes which parable, and you kind of look at it to see what are they trying to teach us about the kingdom, about Jesus, about uh, 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 the truth of God's word, about our calling as followers of Jesus in the different parables that are included. But there are a few parables that are included in all three of those Gospels, including two of the most well-known that we're going to be looking at this morning and then in a couple of weeks from now. The first of these parables comes early on in Jesus's ministry, and the second comes at the very end of Jesus's earthly ministry, the last week right before his death and crucifixion. So what you have is basically a, um, uh, you've got the sower and the soils, the different kinds of soils, so you know that parable. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And then you have the parable, a little more obscure, but it's so important that all three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, decided to include it. The parable of the wicked tenants, which is what comes in Jesus's last week of ministry. So uh, so today we're going to look at the sower, and in a couple of weeks, the wicked tenants. But one thing about the sower, though, this parable comes in a section in each of the three gospels where we find it, that describes the kingdom through a series of parables. So Jesus is telling these, he tells several stories. It's like he tells them rapid fire as part of his teaching ministry in order to tell us something about the kingdom of God. So this morning, instead of reading the whole passage at the beginning like we normally do, uh, we're going to take each parable about the kingdom in turn. So we're going to look at four different kingdom stories from Mark chapter 4, beginning with the parable of the sower and the soils, and then walking through the passage in Mark as we look at these four kingdom stories together. And they're going to teach us some lessons about what the kingdom of God is and why it matters. Okay? So let's begin in verse 1 of Mark 4. It says... Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, 
producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Okay, so in verse 10 and following from there, Jesus gives an explanation as to why he speaks in parables. We're gonna jump ahead to verse 13 because this is where Jesus gives the explanation for the story that he just told. So look at verse 13. It says, then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Okay, so here is a sower who sowed seed, and we see different responses to the seed. Jesus says, this is how the word lands on different hearts. And so here's the main question that for this parable, we need to consider as we look at it in greater detail. Number one, evaluate your heart. Which kind of soil are you? Evaluate your heart. Which kind of soil are you? See, the point of this parable is that there are four different kinds of hearts that receive the word of God, the message of Jesus about the kingdom. Uh, So let's start out considering the way this parable would have applied the first time Jesus told this story. So if you, let's, let's time travel back to the first century, to Jesus, uh, as, he's, as he's telling this parable, as, as you're thinking about the different kinds of groups there were around Jesus at this time. And, and the parable, because it's describing people in Jesus's own day. So the seed that falls on hard ground, uh, quickly eaten up by birds, that represents the heart of all those people that are opposing Jesus. And Jesus had plenty of enemies. Even already at this point in his ministry, he had opponents. These are people who were already plotting his death. So you have the the, the religious leaders of the time, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and you have other hostile religious leaders. They have been against Jesus from the beginning. So that's the seed that falls on hard ground. The seed that falls on rocky ground, well, it springs up and then falls away. That is most likely referring to the crowds. And Jesus has plenty of crowds that are clamoring for his teaching. They are surrounding him. They want to see his healings. They want to see his miracles. They are, they are all enthusiastic about Jesus right now. But as we look as the rest of the gospel goes on, you know, many of the same people who are, are, are clamoring around Jesus and they love Jesus now and crowding around him will be the same ones who will be calling for his crucifixion later on in the story. They're the ones who, when they really begin to see the cost of discipleship, when they really begin to see what, how, uh, how, what, what, what the, the picture of this Messiah is, they begin to think, this Messiah isn't meeting my expectations. And they begin to disappear. So those are the, uh, um, those that are falling on, on rocky ground. The seed that falls among thorns, 
Well, this represents people who are following Jesus for, for quite a while. They're, they're there for a while, but for whatever reason, eventually they go back to their old way of life. Perhaps it's their life circumstances or the cares of the world or choking the word so that it fails to bring fruit. Maybe they're like the, the, the rich young ruler who continue to come after Jesus. They're listening to Jesus. They're encouraged by Jesus. They, they wanna follow Jesus. And yet at the end of the day, they decide they're going to walk away. But then you have the 11 disciples the ones that remain after Jesus's death and resurrection. And the seed takes root in their hearts and their fruit is abundant. See, Jesus uses a surprising figure when he talks about the harvest. 100 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. That is way better than what anyone would have expected. And just think about how true it is though, that in some sense today, we are all here because of the fruitfulness of the 11 disciples. I mean, can, if you had told the 11 disciples that people in the year 2023 would be gathered in worship around Jesus Christ as Messiah and Lord, they would have said it's more than a hundredfold. It's like an a thousandfold harvest that has taken place. But that's what happened because of the way that the word took root in their lives. Now, I want us to take a good look at our own hearts this morning and apply this story to our situation today. So first we would say the sower is the one who spreads the word of God. So the seed is the gospel, it's God's word. And before we move on from this, I just want us to notice how the sower, how he goes about this task. He sows the seed indiscriminately. He's just spreading it everywhere. He's throwing it everywhere. Okay, it's not like he's stingy with the seed. And it's not like that he's like completely strategizing where to put the seed. And this is an important thing to remember because it is not up to us to figure out who's open to the gospel. It's not up for us to be able to be the judge of the soil of someone else's heart. We don't know. We don't know whether they will be receptive or not. We don't know what God may do with them or not. I can guarantee you there weren't a lot of people taking the church visitation cards to run and go see Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament. How many people would have looked at Saul of Tarsus who's there like contributing like okay with the martyr of, martyring of Stephen? Who would have looked at Saul of Tarsus and said, now there's a candidate to become the greatest apostle to the Gentiles who could ever live? Right? We don't know what God is up to. We don't know what God is doing. It's not our job to be the ones to judge other people's hearts or the state of other people's hearts. It's our job to sow, to throw out that seed, to share the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to, you know, to, to, to talk intensively with people who are interested or receptive to the gospel. We should be on the lookout for people who have interest, who are discussing spiritual things or religious things. Or, uh, but, but just because someone seems far from God, there can never be a situation in which we write people off or think that they have no hope. The sower throws the seed everywhere and that's just like what we are to do. We are to spread the seed far and wide. But now let's take a look at the different kinds of soil. So the soil on the path is hard. In, in, in the first century, Judean farmland was a little different than the way we have like neat, linkedly arranged farmland today um, in the United States. People didn't often, they didn't distinguish between the field and the road in the same way that we do here because, you know, roads were different back then. And so you would wind up having people that, that you would, to get from one place to another, you would cross through fields. 
It's just what you did. And if enough people crossed in the same general vicinity of a field, what would happen is you'd start to have these well-worn paths through the fields that would be there. And so where people would walk, the dirt would get hardened over time. And this, Jesus tells us, represents people who are hard-hearted. People who are unable to sense the power of God because Satan keeps them in darkness and he steals away the word before it has a chance to, to penetrate the ground. Now you say, well, what leads to a hard heart? What leads to a hard heart? Well, it could be many things that keep us from receiving the, the word of God. It could be sin. It could be our chasing of our own pleasures or just being so busy with other things that we need leave no time for anything else. But the point is that a hard heart will keep the word of God from bearing fruit. A hard heart, it can be someone who even goes to church, but God's word, no matter how passionately it is proclaimed or how much we sing it, how much we read it, how much we hear it, just bounces off the person. Just doesn't have an effect. And listen, if Jesus's story is applicable today, it means that right now, there are people in this very room who fit this description. There are some, even in the preaching of God's word and the singing of God's word, the reciting of God's word this morning, there are some who are receptive and then there are some that's like one in one ear and out the other. It's the hard heart, the hard ground. Now, the, the soil on the rocky ground, what does this refer to? It refers to what I'd call superficial conversion. Superficial conversion. Someone hears the message and they make a quick emotional decision, emotional response. But as soon as times get tough, there begins to be a cost for discipleship or they, the adversity hits, they're, they're gone. So initially, very receptive to the word of God, but once temptations arrive, they fall back into old patterns. They give, out, they give up their newfound excitement for Jesus. It could be that they actually just get excited about the next big thing. They get just as excited as they were over here. Now they're excited over here for, for this thing. What, what's happening here? Well, there's no root There's no root. See, in the Judean farmlands, the soil in some areas would be just too shallow for for the seed to take root and grow there. And so for similarly, for many people in our culture today, there are people who they may get excited about the word of God or they may get excited about the church for a time or for a season, but the faith is shallow. It's too shallow to last. Springs up, then fades away. No root, no fruit. That's the superficial conversion. Then there's the soil on the thorny ground. The, the, the soil on the thorny ground. This is the person who does well for a while, right? They're seeking to follow Jesus in some way, but they let the cares of this world squeeze out the spiritual life from them so that they, in the end, they choose riches on earth instead of riches in heaven, like the rich young ruler I mentioned. Or the, this soil is, is different than the others because the soil is actually receptive enough that, that something can get planted there. It's not just a, a quick sprouting and then fading. It's actually something gets planted there, but it's not in a good area. And there are so many weeds and there are other things that are there to, to choke out the fruit. So similarly, if we're gonna apply that to the spiritual work, walk with God, There are thorns and there are thistles. There are cares of this world that choke the life out of this person. They keep it from from bearing fruit. And there are many people that would fit this category that might be churchgoers for a while. They may be churchgoers, but they would even probably say, I'm a Christian, but at the deepest, most fundamental level, at the level of their loves, what they love the most 
They've not undergone a transformation. So at the, at the deepest level, what they love, their deepest desires are unchanged. And so they've got this desire at some level for, for God, for other people, for, for the church, but for God's word perhaps, but, but deeper than that, the deepest fundamental loves that they have are actually things like money, status, their career, their possessions. Perhaps it's another person. Whatever it is, those things are what overtake their lives. And then notice it's their concern is what Jesus talks about. Their concern for other things. That's the source of the worry and the anxiety that keeps them from bearing fruit. And notice those two things go together. Misplaced love leads to anxiety. John Wesley once said this. He said, the desire of anything otherwise than as it leads to happiness in God directly tends to barrenness of soul. But then finally, there's the happy ending, the soil that lands on fertile ground. So these are true believers who have the word of God received down deep into their hearts, whose loves have been changed and transformed as a result of the gospel to the point that now they are just bearing fruit in good works. They're bearing fruit in good works. And I wanna go back to seeing this from the perspective of the sower for just a minute. Here's the good news for those of you who maybe you're sharing the gospel with a coworker or you're sharing the gospel with a friend or someone at school or a, a, a grandson or a granddaughter. Know this, know this. If you get discouraged from time to time, know that there will be some who receive the word. And only God knows the massive fruit that generation after generation could be part of that harvest. So don't be discouraged when you sow the word of God. Have faith that God is going to bring his word into contact with fertile soil. Listen, the crop didn't depend on the sower's strategy in sowing the seed. It depended on God's work with the cultivated and receptive soil that it landed on. And so that's what Jesus wanted to get across in this. It's one of his earliest, most famous stories. So, okay, let's read on to the next story in the passage. We'll pick up in verse 21. It says, he also said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Okay, a couple of cryptic sayings in there. We're gonna get to those in a minute, but here's how I would explain the point of the parable. It would simply to say, express your faith openly and deeply. Express your faith openly and deeply. See, the parable of the lampstand makes the point that our light is supposed to shine. You know, we sing that kid song, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. A lot of people in our society think of themselves like they're, they're shining this light from inside themselves, but that's not what we mean when we talk about shining our light. We mean letting God's light shine through us. That that's the kind of light that we want to be, that we wouldn't be ashamed or to, to hide our faith. We know our faith is not private. Our faith is not just personal, it's public. But oftentimes we hide our faith because we don't wanna to look too different from other people. We wanna fit in. Listen, if you hide your light under a bowl, you might as well blow out the candle. You know, in Jesus' time, 
He's talking about Israel. You see this in the Old Testament. Israel is called to be the light to the nations. Israel is to be the light to the nations, the light to the Gentiles. This is God's chosen people, a holy nation, people who were to put on display for the rest of the world the glory and majesty of the one true God. But Jesus is saying, look, Israel, our light is under a bowl. That's what he's saying. And as Christians, as church, as now we grafted in to the, to the tree, as the children of, of Abraham, we recognize we, if we're going to listen to Jesus, need to be more like windows, not like mirrors. And here's what I mean by that. Imagine that you've got a room and it's filled with mirrors and you put you know, some candles in the middle of that room. Now that room will get bright because all that light from the candles is going to reflect. It's going to bounce off and back and forth from those mirrors. It's going to reflect itself to where that room will be brighter because of the mirrors in it. And a lot of churches are like that. We come to church. It's like we're all these individual candles and we come together and the light shines really bright and we reflect that light back and forth to ourselves. It's a beautiful, glorious thing, but we ought to be more like windows, not mirrors. The church ought to be more with windows rather than mirrors because with a window, you actually can shine that light out into the darkness outside. The light shines through the windows in order to be seen by others. See, we're to be that kind of light. Not just where we gather and hear and shine, but where we go out into the different places that God has put us, whether it be our schools, whether it be our communities, whether it be our workplace, whether it be government, wherever God puts us, we want that light to shine, to spread that light out into our community. We need more windows as the church, not mirrors. Now then interestingly, the the parable about the lamp, it goes into this warning about everything becoming broadcast, everything becoming public. You know, when you're a public speaker, one of the anxious things that you think about sometimes is if your mic is turned on or off. And if anyone can hear what you're saying, uh, sometimes it doesn't work and you get up to speak and you're like, no one can hear me. Other times it works too well. And there's a, you know, something you say gets caught on what they call a hot mic. Okay. Um, so, and you know, this happened, like you wonder, is it on? Am I singing off key? Is someone in the sound booth laughing at me right now? That's a question. Or another, you know, you've all heard of the public speaker or the pastor or preacher, someone who doesn't realize their mic is still on, still broadcasting in the sanctuary, and he's gone off to the bathroom somewhere where he's having conversation with someone else. Or you, you better hope that's the only thing you hear when he goes to the bathroom, right? So it's like, the, basically, this, this idea of everything being broadcast, everything being out there. Jesus says, listen, this is the time for public proclamation. Don't hide your good works so that no one knows about them. Now, obviously, he's not saying do your good works just to, for show. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks against that. We're not doing our good works in a showy way. But he's saying you don't want to hide who you really are. You don't put your light under a bowl. And listen, everything is going to come to light. The great revelation is going to happen. The good deeds you do in secret, the bad deeds you do in secret. Your thoughts, your words, your actions, everything is going to be made known. And Jesus says to the disciples, pay attention, keep your ears open because the message about God's kingdom is going to be proclaimed from the housetops. Those of you who are already with me, who are in on the ground floor, you're gonna get more of the message. Those who have followed from a distance but are not really in it for the long haul, it could be they wind up worse than they started. See, that's what he's saying. It's a cryptic message in many ways, but 
But I've seen it to be true. There are people who will seem to follow Jesus for a time, who seem to seek to listen, to obey him in all sorts of ways. And, you know, uh, uh, you'll have some people that they dig roots that are deep. They express their faith openly and confidently. They have these deep roots. But then you have others who never really develop an appetite for Jesus or the word of God. They'll frequent the church for a little while and then they flit away. Sometimes they wind up in worse straits than they had before they even were considering Jesus. See, it's the nature of discipleship. The one who has received the gospel into the depths of their soul is gonna receive even more. The one who rejects is going to even have what they had taken away. Now let's read the third story. It's one of my favorites here. It's Mark uh, 4, verse 26. It says, the kingdom of God is like this. He said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. I love this little story. Only the gospel of Mark has it. So Matthew and Luke, they include all of these parables from this section, but this one is one that Mark gives us. And I've always loved it. Here's why, here's the point. I call it the Waymaker parable because it says, expect results even when you can't see God working. Even when you don't see God working, you trust that he's working because that's, that's what's happening here. Now there are several layers of interpretation. On the surface, it's just, it's a farming metaphor. Obviously a farmer can only do so much, right? Every harvest in a sense is a miracle. Do you see that? I mean, the farmer and if you've got a green thumb or you've got a garden or you've got plants out in, you know, in your front yard or something, you know this, you can't make anything grow. You can't. You can't force growth to happen. All you can do is cultivate the soil, prepare the field, you put the seed down. Ultimately though, the earth brings the harvest. And here's the takeaway from that. You should do the right thing even when nothing is happening. Notice it must be frustrating for the farmer to know that no matter what he does, he ultimately isn't the one responsible to make the seed grow. And listen, there are many of us in Christian ministry, we can get frustrated at times because it doesn't depend on how many programs we implement, how many evangelism training sessions we offer, how many discipleship classes we do. In the end, God gives the increase. God gives the increase. We can plant seeds and we should. We can water seeds and we should, but only God makes them grow. And so the key is to keep being faithful even when it looks like nothing is happening. It's hard, but that is the lesson of the parable. Be patient. You never know when God is going to do something. And so some of you may be discouraged right now because you're right now, you are praying about something and nothing is happening. Or you're reading scripture trusting God for something and that promise has not been yet fulfilled. Or you're talking with someone about the faith and you don't see them getting any closer to God and you don't see God working. Listen, every conversion is a miracle. Every conversion. You ever said, well, it would take a miracle for that person to come to faith. Yes, it always does. Some of you are like, I've got a boring testimony. No, there's no such thing as a boring testimony. Anytime someone trusts Christ, repents of sin and trusts and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, it is a miracle. Whether it happens when you're seven years old or when you're 70, 
It is a miracle, a supernatural work of God. So be patient. You never know when God is going to do something. There's another lesson here we ought to do, we do well to remember. God brings life out of death. See, there's a small foretaste of Jesus's own death and resurrection in this parable. Did you notice that? If you look carefully, see, for the kingdom of God to come, Jesus is going to have to die and rise again. And if you notice, the way Jesus tells the parable, the seed is laid in the earth and then it arises. Did you know in the original language, the word for arises is the same word we use for resurrection. So in other words, God is going to do something amazing in the end. When the kingdom comes, it will be miraculous. Just like now, when people experience conversion, that itself is miraculous. There's one more aspect of the parable that deserves our attention here. And that's the, it's a hint that Jesus has that judgment is coming. Did you notice when he talks about the harvest, the moment of harvest, and then the sickle? Uh, he talks about the, the grain being ripe and the sickle being put down. That is a rec- that's a reference back. Remember, Jesus and his listeners, they know the Old Testament, backwards and forwards. That is a reference back to the Old Testament prophet Joel. When Joel is speaking of the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, that's the kind of symbolism he uses. He's saying there is a day, there will be a day of reckoning when God will judge evil when God will establish good. And so there's a hint of that in the passage as well. Are we ready for the harvest? Are we ready for the separation of the wheat and the tares? That's what this fascinating little parable is getting across to us. Okay, one more kingdom story and then we'll be through this morning. Verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it grows up, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Here's how I would sum up this last parable. Expand the horizon of your thinking about the kingdom. Expand the horizon of your thinking. First of all, don't be fooled by size and appearance. I was reading recently about um, uh, um, a science trade show that happened back in 1959 in which all these different inventions were being unveiled that scientists and inventors and people in technology had put. This is back in 1959. And the New York Times reported on it. They gave a long story to all of these inventions, but they gave them most of their time to this story, a very fascinating invention. It was about a radar system designed by Westinghouse that would allow motorists to drive coast to coast with their hands off the steering wheel. So basically the idea was this, you would have these thin foil strips coated in dots and dashes along the highway and there would be transmitting receivers on the front, like on the the, the car's front bumper that would read the strips and then signal to the steering wheel which way to go. So, I mean, it sounds pretty cool. If you're back in 1959, that sounds neat. The idea that you could drive coast to coast and not have to actually steer the car. Well, that idea didn't go anywhere, obviously. None of us are doing that. None of us have ever done that. Um, But if you go down buried deeper into the New York Times article, just a little space given to another invention, the integrated circuit, or what you'd call the microchip. The microchip is what within 10 years revolutionized the space industry and within 50 years had us all connected online on computers to the point now with my, because of the microchip, you've got more power in the smartphone that you have 
than what it took to get Americans to the moon. Now, the New York Times writers didn't know which story was more important. I mean, they spent most of the time talking about the Westinghouse idea of the, of the, of the thin foils on the road, you know, the driving without a steering wheel. Who would have thought that the integrated circuit was the big story? It's just a little thing. It's just a tiny idea. But you know, despite those low expectations, that's what changed the world. You know, sometimes it's the biggest things in life that start out slow and they grow to be powerful. The kingdom of God is like that. God is at work in the smallest of details. He is at work all around us and the kingdom of God at times will look small and insignificant, but it is growing, it is abounding and it is changing the world. There's one other key thing to remember in this parable. The end has the tree with large branches and the birds of the air making nests in its shade. That's an indirect reference to the Gentiles coming into the kingdom. See, the Old Testament would use that metaphor of the birds and the, and the branches to, to speak of the nations coming into the people of God. So Jesus is not only talking about the great impact that God's kingdom is going to have for Israel, he's also making a point about the breadth of the kingdom, that we are going to be grafted in, that the boundaries are larger than his people at the time expected, that the kingdom is going to include more kinds of people than his followers right then originally thought. And that's something for us to remember as well. So this morning as we close the invitation, I just want for you to examine your heart. To go back to the first parable that we talked about, what kind of, what, what kind of soil, what's the soil, what's the state of your heart? Is it the hardened path that won't receive the word? The shallow and superficial faith that won't last through hard times? The distracted, the anxious faith that's carried away by other loves? Or do you have a fruitful fertile faith that leads to a harvest. This morning, as we've been singing, reciting, as I've been preaching this morning, I'm sowing the word. The question is, what will be your response? What is the state of your heart this morning? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.